Welcome back. It is episode number three of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. And Broche, we are finally not separated by a phone line. Did you miss me? I did miss you. It was very lonely in here. It was it was kind of interesting because it was almost like it was you because like the phone said Tyler Brocious on the top. Uh, but it was slightly smaller and didn't have nearly as nice of a smile. So, yes, I did miss you, and it's nice to have you back. Yeah, it is nice to be back. I missed you dearly. Your Red Sox are doing well. You have nothing to complain about today, can you? <laughs> uh, how much time you got? Um, <laughs> regardless, we're back here for episode number three. They haven't canceled us yet. Uh, today on the show, we are talking to Eric DaCosta and Graciano Brito from the men's soccer team, the head coach and the assistant coach, respectively. We're also talking to Emily Roscoff, the outside center and senior captain of Quinnipiac Rugby. So that is who we're talking to later in the episode. But first, as we always do, let's go through the week that was in Quinnipiac Athletics. <laughs> All right, we'll start with the men's and women's cross-country teams. The men's finished seventh at the New England Championships, while the women's finished third. Morgan Voigt tallied the most team points uh, with 122 for the women's team. She finished 12th in the women's varsity 5K. Yeah, and I think as a bigger scope, you have to be really excited if you're the women's cross-country team. They had well over 10 personal records that weekend and that that's in banana land that's what you want and i think it's going to be you know when you talk to carolyn martin she's gonna be really really fired up about that and she should be and the whole team should be really proud as they get back you know really now into the deep part of their season both teams uh will run in the princeton invitational this friday october 12th so continuing on uh their deep schedule with another event this coming friday uh, men's tennis, they picked up their first win of the season, a 7 nothing Mac victory over Ryder. Uh, they swept Ryder in every match for the sixth straight season, so Quinnipiac really dominating that season series. Uh, the ITA regionals are at Princeton Thursday, October 11th through Sunday, October 14th, so the men's team gearing up for a tournament coming up this weekend. Uh, women's tennis, meanwhile, swept a doubleheader last Saturday, beating Ryder 7-0 and Sacred Heart 6-1. Uh, the women's tennis team will head to the ITA regionals as well from Thursday to Sunday. Uh, those will be held at Yale. Switching over to women's golf, they placed 10 out of se- 10th rather out of 17 teams at the Yale Invitational last weekend. They honored their two seniors, Julia Kemling and Luciana Tobia Palza. You know, Julia and Lou are just, they are freaking frack, as Billy Mecca put it on Sunday, and that's the <laughs> way it is. I, I actually was, just saw Lou in the um, athletic training room as I was getting my foot needled on a little bit. Nice. Getting a little plantar fasciitis out of the way. But Julia, you know, she wraps up her career with the Bobcats, and two MAC championships, and just a class act. I mean, her whole entire family was there. And the best story, I think, when you think about Lou is her family. And she's just been so good. And Jen Whaley, assistant coach, was laughing with me this week. She was telling me how her grandparents um, showed up this week, Julia's, to Dartmouth a couple weeks ago and was hiding behind a tree watching her warm up because they didn't want her to get, like, all word that they were there. And she was like, I see you guys. And they were like, oh, hi. We just didn't want to bother you. Good luck. <laughs> and so that's, I mean, Julia and her family, you know, are class act. And for her, she's always going to be up there as one of the best all-around golfers for Quinnipiac. So you're grad- they're graduating two good people as well as good players off, off of that team yeah. this year. That's going to be a theme that we're going to see later in this episode. But either way, uh, the women's golf team travels to Brown this weekend for the Brown Invitational on Saturday and Sunday. Over to the uh, women's field hockey team. They dropped a tight Big East contest 2-1 at Villanova. Brooke Whip, he scored the lone goal, her third of the season. Uh, They return home to play Providence this Friday at 3 o'clock. So getting back in the Big East action this Friday. Women's volleyball dropped a close match 3-2 on the road at Niagara last Saturday before falling to Canisius 3-0 on Sunday. They continue their seven-game road trip tonight, the day that this very episode airs, when they play Marist at 7 o'clock. You can find that game on ESPN+. Plus. So if you want to watch the team on the road, you can do that. They'll play back-to-back games this weekend, Saturday at Manhattan and Sunday at Iona. Switching up... To the ice rink, the men's ice hockey team picked up the win in an exhibition game against Prince Edward Island by a score of 5-2. Scott Davidson had three points, while he, Nick Germain, Brandon Fortunato, Alex Whalen, and Craig Martin all found the back of the net. 
10 players in total tallied points, so a good showing there from the Bobcats offense to start the season. They get their non-conference schedule started this Saturday with a game at Vermont at 7 p.m., so getting into the non-conference game against a couple of Hockey East teams, starting with Vermont. Over to the women's side, they dropped their weekend series with the University of Maine Black Bears, 2-1 to one in overtime on Friday, and then 3 to nothing on Saturday afternoon. Freshman forward Alexia G just scored her first career goal on Friday. Her and linemate Sarah Ev Kotu-Godbu are tied for the team lead in points with three each, and you know, that line's been all over the ice. We talked about them last week, and they were back at it again. Yeah, and that's a good sign. I mean, you know, you see freshmen come on sometimes, and, they, you know, you can have a hot weekend. It's what can you do after the hot weekend, and Aziza seems like she's really picking up steam, and then that team, you know, just they're really competing in every single game. They battled back last weekend against Ohio State, battled back, forced overtime this weekend, so they're going to get it figured out, and they go up to Vermont this weekend. These are two very important games against another Hockey East team for the women's team. Uh, yeah, and exactly like you said, they've been battling up until that game on Saturday. Every one of their losses was by a single goal. You know, that's a that's a lucky bounce. That's a tip on a shot away from from tying these games and, and giving yourself a chance to win. But regardless, the women's team heads up to Vermont as well this weekend for a pair of games with the Catamounts. Switching over to women's soccer, they dropped their last MAC game 4-1 to at Monmouth, but they still sit 3-2-1 and in the MAC, which is good for fourth. Allie Grunstein is currently tied for the MAC lead and assist with five, and this team is still hanging around here even after that last loss. Yeah, and I was with um, Olivia Myszewski. She was on Sports Pause last night, so me and her got the chat before she was on, and, you know, they're going to get it all figured out. I think for the team, the goal is still to make it to the MAC championship and win the MAC championship. Now they're going to fight for that second-place spot for a home field advantage in the quarterfinals. And this team, once, you know, you're going to have ups and downs in the year. I think it's all about how you respond to them. And it should be really interesting to see them come out, get a full week of rest. October 13th, they'll come up against Canisius, and let's see what they can do. It's a grind. I mean, you, you know, you're playing a couple games a week at certain points when you're going on the road on a Wednesday, come home on a Saturday. It's it's a tough schedule, especially during those fall seasons. But, yes, uh, the women's soccer team, they return home this Saturday, October 13th, where, they're, where they will play Canisius. Uh, switching to the other side, the men's soccer team—they've won five games in a row in the uh, five games in a row. Period. 3-0 in MAC play so far. They're tied for first with Fairfield and Ryder. Eamon Whalen continues to lead the way in points and goals in the MAC, and this team is really firing on all cylinders. And I think for Eric DaCosta, this team always hits their stride later in the season. So to see them start so good in the MAC. You gotta wonder if they're gonna keep it or they're gonna falter. But I think this team's so talented. They're an old team. They know what they're doing. They're veterans. It's going to be a lot of fun down the stretch. And he mentioned that. We're going to talk to Eric DaCosta in just a couple of minutes. He mentioned how, you know, it was a slow start for his team. and But, you know, the younger players started to figure it out. And, and it takes a little while to build a system and build the culture and, and things like that. So, again, we talked to Eric DaCosta uh, about that. But uh, we'll talk to him in a few minutes. First of all, finishing up the rundown with women's rugby. Uh, they dropped a close match with Harvard 24-21 after winning two straight. Emily Roscoff, she scored her team-leading sixth try of the season and she's been there since freshman year for this rugby team yeah she's really incredible and you can see my favorite part about it was she scores a try under a minute to go she grabs the ball she always knows what's going on it's we got to score now i need to get back we need to score again we're only you know we're still down three and the game was so close all throughout it's awesome to see on espn plus thank you harvard i was able to gift a little bit of it and this team, you could tell different things they're learning each and every week. It should be really interesting once they make it to the NIRA playoffs. They are back in action at home this Saturday at 1 o'clock against Brown. So that is the week that was in Quinnipiac Athletics. And we have a couple of fantastic guests to get to. The first one, Broche, we talked to the head coach and assistant coach of the men's soccer team, Eric DaCosta and Graciano Brito. They both have very interesting stories about how they got to Quinnipiac. But when I talked to both of them, the biggest thing that they talked about when it came to this year's team and how they build their program is culture and family. Family was the biggest thing that they had to say about their team. Like, and that's the great thing. Like, whether you leave as an alumni, they had their alumni game this past weekend. You see how many guys come back. I think it was from the 60s to all the way up to Doig and Will Pistari, who were there from last season. Like, these guys, they stick around. The mantra of you never walk alone can be said and pl plastered up on locker rooms and different things and hung on bulletin boards. But unless you have a coach and a program like they do that really believe in it, it means nothing. And I think they show that. And Eric's just really fun. And once you get him and Brito in one room, they're an all-star duo. And they've been around for a long time. They get each other's strengths and weaknesses. 
And that's what you want in an assistant coach and a head coach relationship. And they're so much fun to watch. 15 years between the two they have together, Graciano Brito, Eric DaCosta. Let's hear from them. And we're back here on episode number three of the Quinnipiac Athletics podcast. And we're joined by not one, but two coaches on the Quinnipiac soccer team. Head coach Eric DaCosta, assistant coach Graciano Brito. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So uh, this is the first time that we've tried a dual threat interview, so we'll we'll see how this goes. But uh, we kind of want to start uh, a lot of the interviews that we do in this podcast are more personal, asking about you guys as people as well as as well as coaches and athletes and, and things like that. So Coach DaCosta, I want to start with you. Uh, you started back as a player with Quinnipiac. Uh, and then you came out and eventually came back as a coach. So when the process came and you were you were invited back as a coach how did that all happen how did you decide that Quinnipiac you wanted to come back and take over the program yeah it all, all seems like many moons ago to be <laughs> honest with you um but no it was uh it was a privilege then um being a, a son of immigrant parents and uh, the first in my family to have an opportunity to go to to go to college and it was a privilege to to be scouted and recruited um, by institutions and to have the opportunity to come here and and play at Quinnipiac University was, you know, I would love to say it was a dream come true, but to be completely honest with you, I'm not sure my dreams were that big at that point. I knew soccer was uh, an important part of my life, but um, coming from where I came from, you know, education wasn't always at the very top of the list. It was about um, working and making money to feed your family and, and building your family and that type of thing. And when I had the opportunity to, you know, think that, college was an actual reality then you know it was a little bit scary to to be completely honest and leaving home and getting away from your comfort zone and outside your bubble was was all really new uh, so I had a lot of support from from my family my brother in particular who you know really pushed me to sort of take that leap and and see what what was out there and you know it was it was a humbling experience having the chance to to come to Quinnipiac was uh, the best decision that I've ever made and um, obviously it was for a reason because I've never left this place. So, uh, you know, really proud to represent the institution now as, as the head coach and work with great people and be surrounded by, you know, some really smart and, and talented individuals. So you guys can kind of both, both chime in about this one. Um, talk to me a little bit about, about how you found Graciano as a player, as a recruit, and then ended up bringing him back and talk about your, your experience with coming here. You want me to take this one? All right. Well, it was, it was a long time ago again. I feel like all your questions are really dating me so far. Um, yeah, it was back in uh, 2004. Um, I was at that time the head coach at Post University, which is a Division II school. It's um, that Back then it was Takeo Post University, um, now called Post University in Waterbury, Connecticut, uh, just outside of Waterbury. Um, and, you know, building a program and, and going in and doing what similar to what I had to do when I got here and uh, we were doing a lot of recruiting and you know looking for good players and uh, we did a lot of local recruiting. So there were there's a big Cape Verdean population in in Waterbury and there were several uh, of Graciano's friends now and, and and family members that we were recruiting at the time. And one of them came to me and said, "Hey, coach, is this guy who just showed up here uh, into this country and we think he's pretty good." And yeah, you know, we had the opportunity to meet him, see him, and and get to know him. Uh, and you know, the the rest is is really history. I mean, um, when he went to Waterbury uh, to post in Waterbury, it was it was a bit late uh, in the recruiting process, so he was there academically as a student, but uh, wasn't eligible to compete. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, I had the chance to to come here to Quinnipiac, and um, one of the things that we wanted to do was was bring Graciano with us. Uh, so we talked about it. We told him at that time that he wasn't good enough to play here and he would have to, you know, earn his stripes and all that stuff. Oh, you know, I was yeah. talking out of the side of my mouth. But, um, <laughs> you know, he, he came and he took uh, he took a leap of faith. He made some sacrifices, to be completely honest, to uh, to come here to Quinnipiac. And I'll, I'll let him speak for himself. But uh, the opportunities that presented themselves here, I think, um, put him in a good position. So we're thrilled that, that he, you know, made that leap of faith and, and, and came with us. He could have easily stayed in that comfort zone and, and been, you know, usually successful uh, at post. But uh, he took that chance and he's been massively successful here. He's arguably one of the best players to ever, you know, compete for Quinnipiac, definitely in the Division One era. Um, 
you know, I don't think there's there's been a player better. So uh, now to have him, you know, sitting in in the same office, and uh, it's been over 15 years, I think, that we've been together, and uh, it's been it's been a privilege, it's been a privilege to see him grow and, and become the man that he is, and uh, now to be, you know, um, a dad and a husband, and you know, and and top of that, being a really good coach, it's uh, it's been it's been fun to watch that. So tell me your side of that. Well, uh, I was like Coach Dacosta said. Uh, that was many moons ago. At 17 years old, I I moved to the country as an immigrant. Uh, um, come from a similar background of Coach Dacosta. Uh, parents always thought about hardworking and you get a job and and you just provide for your family. I was lucky enough uh, that I knew somebody uh, that was playing for Coach Dacosta. Uh, that introduced me to Coach Dacosta and. Uh, and then he got the job at the time I went for a semester at Post, and then he got the job at Quinnipiac, and I had the opportunity to come here. To be honest, I didn't had no idea about what was the difference between Division One and Division Two. Uh, it's just uh, he was a coach at the time that I felt comfortable with, uh, that I wanted to play for, so I took uh, more a chance of playing for him rather than choose. Uh, to change schools, so when I when I came came here, obviously I start to realize the the difference between the two schools, and for me it was more about opportunity to get an education, and uh, that was what what mom was. Soccer was just a privilege. It was just a blessing, and I was lucky enough to be able to play uh, great game, great for a great school, and represent uh, also my coaches and my team, but. Uh, for me, it was all about the academics, uh, get a good education. Uh, I was just privileged enough to to play soccer. What made him uh, a coach that was that you wanted to play for so much? Well, he or was, that you felt so comfortable. Well, around. he was I'll cover my ears for this. One. <laughs> well, he was my first soccer coach. Uh, oh wow! Okay. So uh, back home, soccer is the most popular sport. So you play everywhere. Any anybody, if anybody has a ball, you play in the streets. You play. Uh, you play in the backyard, you play in the classroom, uh, you find ways to play soccer. But actually, I was a basketball player all my life. So uh, when I first came here, I was playing with the friends, but I was playing just because that's what I did back home. Like, you just play regular pickup soccer anywhere you can. Uh, so uh, I never was in an environment where soccer was like uh, uh, the, the main thing for me. I never was in an organized uh, soccer environment so having him uh, kind of generated that trust so by him moving here and me having the opportunity to come with him I just took advantage of it and uh, and, and it was more a uh, sense of conference for him he said like I took a leap of faith but for me it was the conference zone was with him because he was actually my first soccer coach so this is kind of more more for both of you guys and and whoever wants to start can um what are the differences that you see between the American style of soccer that you can see in the NCAA and something that you may see overseas? Well, um, when I first when I f first graduated, obviously the objective was to go play professional. Unfortunately, I got hurt. Um, as time go, uh, Coach Jones, that's actually working with us now, uh, he was playing at Portugal and he set me up with an agent in a team there in Portugal, um, I ended up going to Portugal. As and is a massive difference. Uh, as soon as I got there, like when you play for for Cunipiac, you play for something that's bigger than you. You play for a passion, something that you love. As soon as I got to Portugal, I realized that it was a job. Like you had a job to do. People take it serious. A lifestyle is like a religion, uh, and uh, and it was a big. Uh, change for me because I'm here playing for Quinnipiac. Everybody was rah rah rah, uh, let's go. Everybody supports everybody, and then you have other sports that you support. So we all represent Quinnipiac, but then you get uh, to an international environment. You have players from all over the the world. Not only that, they think different, they act different, but most important. They know that every day they coming to work, not to come for a game. Here we take it more as a game. Uh, overseas, they take it more as a job. Um, my experience. Yeah, I would I would agree with that uh, completely, and and add the fact that it's it's cultural. Um, you know, the culture of of soccer in the United States is 
is growing exponentially. Uh, the growth that we've seen in the last 15 years, maybe even 20 years uh, since the 1994 World Cup, um, it's exploded uh, and it continues to do so. And you start to see um, maybe some issues in some other sports and the decline of some other traditional um, American sports and, and soccer sort of coming out of the shadows of being this this cult sport where uh, everyone really supported but was afraid to publicly announce that. Uh, and you're seeing more and more of that. You see in the pockets in Seattle and down in Atlanta and uh, in Philadelphia and, you know, these, these teams that are really uh, doing a fantastic job of not only producing on the field but uh, creating some excitement in their communities and, and really getting people to – uh, to be more outspoken or, you know, come out into the light, so to speak, and, and support their local teams. Uh, so it's a cultural thing, and, and the sport in this country is really, really young as opposed to, you know, hundreds of years in, in some other countries, uh, particularly in, in Europe or South America. Uh, so it's a cultural thing. You know, levels of play, it's it's all relative. You know, the, the level uh, in the United States at the top level, at the at the MLS level, is, is getting much, much better. Uh, he's starting to see some really good players come over and not necessarily just to retire. You know, some players coming over towards the end of their careers, but with, you know, still a, a lot to give, uh, which is making a, a bit of a statement. But, you know, in, in a lot of these countries, and I grew up with it, I'm a first-generation American. I was born here, and I'm proud of that. Uh, but my family, it was all, you would listen to the games from Portugal on the radio, and you'd sit around the table, and, and you'd listen to those games, and as uh, as Grassi indicated, it's it was a bit of a religion. You know, you, you loved it. You you supported your teams and um, almost to a fault at times. We really don't have that type of culture here yet, and it's growing. It's becoming much better. As I mentioned, you know, Atlanta and Seattle, and, and they have that type of fan base. Uh, those millennials are really coming out and, and supporting soccer. And you start seeing jerseys. You know, guys, we are in uh, young kids, you know, women, men wearing um, MLS jerseys or, you know, European club team jerseys where – 10 years ago, all you saw was football jerseys and basketball jerseys. So it's getting there. The culture is, is, is getting to that point where it's okay to be a soccer fan and you're not just that weird international guy that likes soccer. It's not just an international sport. And we're starting to understand that it's a world sport and um, the most popular sport in the world. So um, it's just a cultural thing in terms of talent. And you know, we're starting to see some really great young talent, uh, the likes of Pulisic uh, emerging on the, on the global scale and and that bodes well for American soccer. And I think we're, we'll start to make some strides. Missing this World Cup was uh, a huge disappointment, but there was some outrage because of that. And I think that's a really good thing. Uh, so we'll get there, but it's it's a cultural thing. And, and we're not where the rest of these countries are, and we shouldn't be. You know, Again, they've it's ingrained in their culture, and, and we're just starting to make those steps now. It is so interesting. I mean, a as an outsider... Um, you're starting to see that thing where it's more than just every four years that soccer is being discussed in this country. And, and you do see people coming over from the EPL or from uh, leagues like that and start to build some of their local MLS teams. So you can see that culture being built. Now, I want to kind of stay on culture but shift over to Quinnipiac. Now, both of you guys have been working together, you said, for 15 years. So you've had a chance to really establish your own culture based on your experiences, everything like that. This is broad. You can go anywhere you want, but what is Quinnipiac soccer? And what do you want your players to be? What are you trying to impart on your players and your program? Um, it's an excellent question because the perfect moment was a couple uh, last week and last Saturday. We have all alumni uh, here present. I think the best uh, thing to describe about uh, Quinnipiac men's soccer is family. Uh, we had all these guys coming um, back and uh, and telling us how much they miss it, uh, how much they wish they were still playing. Uh, I have them on the text message regularly. They text me all the time, asking how the team doing and how things going, and how can they be a part of it. I think that that's I think that's something I'm the most proud. I know the past few years we've been very successful in terms of results, uh, but the the most thing I'm most proud of is that. Uh, the type of human being we have brought to this program. And they're not just uh, my players now, they're my friends, and they're gonna be there here forever. 
and um, we had great turnaround all the players that graduated two three years ago even last year they came around they still hanging out with each other most of them are living together in the same places in new york philly and everything it just go to uh, to show that uh, it's more than just soccer is we just became like a big family and the ones that return to their country still like emailing us still calling in the weekly basis they want to know about the team they support the team and they talk to the players that are current on the team and they have a friendship with them also so for me uh, that's the best word i can describe our program is family because of all that tribe and all the players that have left the team but still have a big influence in the team because they still talking to us they still talk to our current players and they still involve in every single sense uh, with the team how important is that alumni connection in terms of developing your your younger players your freshmen mainly it's very important because um, right now the current players that we have they see us as coaches so sometimes they have ideas sometimes they have uh, things that they want to see different in the program and because they see us as coaches as a authoritative figure they sometimes don't have the confidence to come and say hey coach maybe we can add on to this thing or do something better when you have those alumni they come back and they were like oh we like what we did this so that's a positive we can continue to do the same thing but sometimes they can I say, oh, we didn't like this. Doesn't mean we're gonna change what we're doing, but at least it brings it to attention that uh, something maybe could be done better. You see, when you ask that question, you know that's why you know I'd, I'd love to let Graciano take the lead on that because that's this is something I'm most proud of, and and just listening to this man talk for the last minute and a half, you uh, you get a sense of exactly what this program means to to so many people. Uh, and again, it's 14 years for me now, and um, I walked in here in 1997 as, um, as a young, cocky, um, tough, thought I knew everything guy. And you know, to see the program evolve and grow and to, to see someone like Graciano who came in as a player and went away and played as a pro and came back and has been here as a coach and to hear him speak the way he speaks, then uh, it speaks to the culture of our program. And, and that's something we talk a lot about and it's culture. Uh, and culture is people, you know, culture isn't some, um, you know, buzzword that we use probably too much in sports. Uh, you know, it's it's about people and the type of people that you have uh, in your program that represent your program, uh, not only from top to bottom, but everywhere in between. That's what develops the culture of your program. It's it's the collection of people and, and their traits and and what they believe in and um our program, yeah, it's it's about family. We say it every day. Uh, every time we come together at the end of a practice, we, you know, one, two, three, family. And it's it's always been like that, and it's going to continue to be like that. Uh, but we're, I'm not naive uh, enough to forget about our past either. Uh, as I said, I came in here in 1997. This program's been around since 1962 uh, or 64, you know, so 55-plus years. Um, it's There's a lot of tradition here. You know, a lot of guys have put on the jersey whether it was just quinnipiac or quinnipiac college or the braves of the bobcats or uh for a year or two there nothing we were just <laughs> just quinnipiac for a right. while um so there's a lot of tradition there's a lot of history there there are a lot of players who reach back out to us constantly uh and those are the conversations i love having i love having those conversations with guys and we have guys here on campus john demezzo is in uh, the alumni office now, and he's you know does a, a great job for all of Quinnipiac, but um, bridging that gap, helping us bridge that gap with athletics and uh, and our alumni. Uh, we just had our alumni game. We had players represented from 1969, um, who's been back I think the last five or six years in a row. So guys aren't just proud of our Division One history. You know they're proud of all of our history, NAIA, junior college, all the way back and. Um, from the first time uh, I took the position here, that was one of my biggest goals was we have to find a way to, to continue to honor our past, uh, continue to be really excited about our future uh, and bridge that gap in between. Uh, and we've done that. And that's the reason why we have such a strong culture, because the people here uh, are really proud to represent the institution uh, in its current state. Uh, they want to leave it better off than it was when we got here. 
uh, and they're they're really proud to represent all those guys from 55 years back. Uh, so and that's a special thing, and that's something that we don't take lightly, and uh, it's a responsibility that uh, that we carry, and, and we want to do our best with it. So when you're looking to go out and continue this culture and find the newest members of the Bobcat family, what are you looking for? Wow, so many things. Yeah, um, so many things. Obviously, you know, we want uh, good students, good athletes. Um, players who are going to help us compete and continue to compete at the highest levels, um, students who uh, can uh, maintain and, and cope with the academic rigors of, of Quinnipiac University, which um, are not easy, uh, and really good people, you know, people with good, strong um, values, morals, um, family people, uh, people with uh, families who are supportive of them, uh, certainly uh, have helped instill that foundation in them that we know uh, is going to fit in well with the group of guys we have here. Uh, and that might be the singular most important thing for us is them as individual people, more so than the student and the athlete is uh, is that person. So we, we spend a lot of time talking to them, getting to know them. Um, the international guys are a lot of Skype calls. They're obviously when we make those trips overseas, we spend some time with them. Um, in their own environment, but just really getting to know the person, you know, getting to know the athlete is easy. You know, we know exactly what a good soccer player looks like. We know uh, what that means to, to our team and how it can impact our team. Uh, the things that you can't always calculate is the character, the personality, um, and how that meshes into the locker room is the most important thing for us. So having good people uh, who also happen to be good students and, and really good soccer players anything on top of that i mean he he, he hit all he hit them all, all the bases pretty well yeah most we talk all the time about like uh what type of players we can recruit uh usually when you're successful you try to replace the same player so we always talk about that it's easy to replace the same player because you can find thousands of players that can sa play the same uh the most difficult part is to replace uh People is to replace a strong personality that was a good captain, a good leader of the team, uh, or a guy that just was uh, loved to be around the team. He got everybody together. So sometimes that's the most difficult thing. So usually when we recruit, uh, he spends a lot of time. Usually I was like, oh, we're going to end up losing this player. But uh, it's actually a good thing because uh, during that time we have constant communication with the player. And we get to know the type of personality, what kind of person they are, if they're going to be good teammates. Because it's easy uh, to succeed when everything is going well. It's hard to succeed when things are not going so well. So we look for those high-character guys. For, the, for us, that's the most important thing. So the culture so far, everything this year has been working exactly how you guys could plan. Uh, won the last five games in a row, 3-0 and in, in MAC play so far. What has your team been doing so well this year? or in the last couple weeks? I think they continue to believe in, in each other. Um, it wasn't easy, especially early on. Uh, we always play a really difficult schedule, and we want to compete against the best teams that, that we can. Uh, we're lucky to be in this region where we can get those games and have them be relatively close and not have to travel all over the country. But we want to compete. We, you know, it's, it's not about... Uh, certainly we want to win and every time you play at this level you play to win and when you lose you're upset and you're disappointed uh, but you have to have some vision and I think you need to be able to see uh, the end game and, and see the whole journey for what it could potentially be um, players are short-sighted and, and they should be you know they should be focused on the here and now in each game and uh, the highs and lows that come with that. And for us as a staff and as coaches, it's about having vision and about being able to see what it's going to look like at the end. And every step along the way, it gets you closer to that end point and hopefully builds you uh, into a position where you're prepared uh, to take those next steps. So the first half of the season was hard. It was, it was really hard. And we had to have some real honest and frank conversations uh, about where we were um, what that meant, where we want to be, what that takes to, to get there. Uh, and the boys have continued to believe in each other. And it, we can, it's what we've told them since day one. Believe in the process, believe in the journey, 
You may not be able to see it now, but if you believe in it and you keep uh, believing in each other, then good things will happen. And, you know, I'd love to say it's how we drew it out, but um, it's not. <laughs> you know, you want the schedule to be competitive, but you want and you want to win. Uh, but for us, it's about winning championships, uh, being in a position in the league uh, to have an opportunity to make the playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs, you have an opportunity to win the championship. And you win the championship and move on to the NCAA tournament, right? And, th and those are the goals. Whether you're 0-6 going into league play or 6-0, and doesn't really matter. It's about uh, what you do in October and where you are in November. Uh, and that's what we continually try to get them to to see you know it's about what's in front of us and they've done a really good job and, and they've picked themselves up when uh, at one point I think we were all four and one uh, and they did a good job of just staying the course and believing in each other and looking to the next game and, and trying to do better and we're on a nice little run here but we uh, understand that that's done now you know those games are over now we're focused on the next one and then when that one's done we focus on the one after that um, so just believing in each other believing in the in the program believing in the process and uh, hopefully things pan out the way you hope they do obviously every group is different than every other group and um, this year's group has their own players their own personality we brought a lot of new guys in uh, I believe eight and introducing eight players to to a group is is very difficult. Uh, like coach said, um, it takes time. Uh, for us, uh, soccer wise, uh, we play a, a very unique uh, brand of football that's different from a lot of college. And so usually it takes time, and we have only uh, a week and a half of preseason, and then you jump to games every other two or three days. So it's very hard to get that um, togetherness. Uh, of the team so they they are clicking on the right time for us but we're not naive to saying like just because things going well we're just gonna write it out well we gotta make sure we keep working hard uh the team keeps sticking together and um that we continue to work towards our goal that is playing in october but it goes back to our culture right uh that we talk about like coach uh, just mentioned it at one point we were all in four uh, losing four uh, straight games and if you don't have the strong personalities uh, to believe in the system believe in each other and believe on the process uh, we will not be able to be where we're at right now but where we are right now is good but it's nothing yet uh, we haven't made the playoff we haven't accomplished anything so we are very aware of that and we're going to continue to work hard to continue to to get the results and the points necessary for our objective before we go, we have a, I have a couple questions. These are more personal ones. Uh, really get your brain moving. So before we go, whoever wants to start, the first question is, if you could live anywhere in the world that is not Hamden, Connecticut, where would it be and why? Coach? <laughs> Sending Cloud Kvert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Simple, easy. Easy. <laughs> That's where uh, actually where I'm from originally. A small island surrounded by nice, beautiful beaches. So I would uh, do anything to go back and just sit down, enjoy a cup of tea all day and watch the ocean waves. So do anything to go back. I think I might be changing my pick for <laughs> I want to live too. <laughs> Coach yeah, Casa? That's a tough one to top, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to live in a lot of different places and, and see a lot of different places, I should say. And, um, love being by the water, love being by the ocean. So uh, I might tag along with Coach Brito on this one, but um, yeah, anywhere where my family is. Uh, to be honest with you, it's um, I'm not a big fan of the cold, but I was born and raised in New England, so that doesn't make much sense. But wherever my family is, is is where I want to be. So uh, wherever they go, I follow. Okay, I think I can see the answer to your next question, but I'll ask it anyways. Uh, if you could have dinner with one person, whether it be alive or deceased, who would it be, and why? Coach Tacosta, if you want to start. Yeah, um, again, it's it's family, yeah. right? It's family based. All all those. I'm 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 a big uh, big dinner, long table, everybody sat seated around the same table kind of guy. So that that's my vibe. Um, so yeah, anyone in in my family who's who's passed, um, and all those who are still here, you know, I want to take advantage of the fact that. Uh, people are still here and, and you still have opportunities to, to make good memories and, and be surrounded by 
those people who you love because one day they're gone and, and you miss them and you sit here going, that's the person that want to do that with. But uh, all those past and all those present, big, long table, as many seats as it takes and <laughs> uh, a lot of really good food. And, uh, and that's, that's my place. That's my happy place. Love that. Okay. Coach. Well, same as Coach DaCosta and hopefully my, I will have to pick one though because hopefully my wife is not listening to this because I will hear <laughs> it. Uh, but uh, my grandfather passed away uh, four years ago. Uh, my grandfather was a strong influence on me. He raised me. Uh, um, and then um, he immigrated first before me and then I immigrated. And, and in that passing away, if I had one wish, it was to have one more dinner with him. Okay. Both family, very family oriented. You can see, you can see it in the in the soccer culture, and you can see it in the personal life. Okay, last one. Uh, you guys are both on death row. This is your last meal, your dinner, your drink, and your dessert. Ooh, mm-hmm. really good. Like, no. listen, you don't get this body by not having a lot of really good dinners. All right, so <laughs> there are a lot of choices here. Um, Dinner, drink, and dessert. Well, dinner would definitely be, you know, a traditional Portuguese dish, uh, something called bifa portuguesa, which is uh, really simple. Just, you know, a sirloin steak, and uh, they make this really uh, garlicky brown gravy with some uh, some French fries and rice, double starch okay. in the Portuguese uh, tr- culture there. That would be my dinner. Uh, drink, yeah, probably whiskey neat. Sure. Yeah, whiskey neat be my drink. And uh, dessert... Uh, again, we're going with another another Portuguese favorite. It's called a queijada de nata, which is basically a, a little custard cup. Okay. Well, dinner for me will be a traditional Cape Verdean dish that's called moch. It's like, um, I would say it's soup, but it involves a lot of vegetables and it, it involves like uh, sirloin uh, pieces. Uh, it's uh, very good. For drink, I will go with grog. Uh, grog is a traditional drink that my family actually makes is out of sugar cane and I'm not a dessert guy so I just leave pass it out to Coach to Costa so so two uh, two, cust- two cu- traditional right. custard perfect. cups for Coach to Costa alright gentlemen well thank you so much for taking the time today I know you guys are busy uh, we really appreciate it and best of luck with everything thank upcoming this year it's our pleasure and uh, you guys are doing a great job with these podcasts and, and keep it up and we're glad to have the opportunity to talk to you awesome thank you guys appreciate it thank you Thanks so much to Eric DaCosta and Graciano Brito for taking the time to join us here on episode number three. And, you know, Brosh, it's funny. You mentioned before we aired the interview that you felt like you were a part of the family last year when you were working with them. And, I mean, I was in their office for maybe half an hour setting up equipment and then doing the interview with them. And by the time I walked out, I felt like I was a fourth member of that family with the two of them and Jones. And I think, like, he won't admit it, but it kind of probably i think they like that sometimes just that realness like we don't need to be talking about the social media plan today i know you're gonna do your job <laughs> like I, you know i'm gonna do mine and right, just kind of yeah. catch up and yeah. that's the great thing with eric that door's always open in his office for any of his players and anybody really in the department and that's why he's been able to really keep a really beautiful realm here he schedules the same thing it's a tough out of conference makes him really ready for in conference he brings in burrito he knows what he's doing when he brings in matt jones like they got it really figured out right now and i really am excited to get down the postseason play with them they've won five in a row coming into the game today uh, the day that this episode is dropping so we'll see if they can continue their hot play in the mac that is uh, interview number one of two that we have in the episode today the second one we talked to emily roscoff she is a senior outside center and captain of the quinnipiac rugby team and we broke down a little bit more of what exactly rugby is you know it's a it's a sport that it's popular overseas but it really and she even admits this hasn't quite hit its stride yet in the United States. But, you know, we talked about her history and how she got into rugby. And then we kind of broke down, okay, so you're an outside center. What exactly do you do? She related it to kind of like a a quarterback and a cornerback in football with calling plays and, and keeping up with other players, matching up directly with people. And, you know, it was a great conversation. And you can tell that she lives and breathes rugby and is really trying to grow the sport. Yeah, and I think whenever somebody from the Quinnipiac Rugby program steps on the field, the Quinnipiac Rugby field, that's their motto. They want to grow this sport. You know, it's not – 
the most popular sport. They understand that, but they want to make it that. And even just covering it, you get really passionate about it. You want to know exactly what a try is, and you can get the basics of it. You can figure out, you know, conversions are two. It's kind of like an extra point, and like that's not the point. It's really knowing the little ins and outs, and with the help of, you know, head coach Becky Carlson and whatever I have a question for Brad in the middle of the game, they're always there to help, and I think learning the sport and then teaching it to others is so important. I think Roscoff's a great example of that. And we talked to her a little bit about that. And we're back here on the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast, episode number three. And today we are joined by a senior outside center and the captain of your Quinnipiac rugby team, Emily Roscoff. Emily, how are you today? Good. Good. Enjoying this fine Tuesday. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah, enjoying it. It's, you know, of course, it, we're in October and yet it's still in the mid-70s. Right. Wake up this morning, check the Weather Channel app, and I'm like, okay, yeah, no, we're going back to the shorts and the t-shirt today after a full, you know, long, long sleeve and pants yesterday. Yeah. I just, I, I, I don't know if, I don't know how it is in California around this, this time of year, but this is really starting to bug me. Yeah, no, it's about this weather in California right now. This is basically as almost as cold as it gets in the winter. This is like the weather through December. Wow. But it starts like colder in the mornings, usually like 40s, 50s, and then it'll get to like mid 60s, 70s. Really? By the end of the day, but yeah. Wow. So, I mean, uh, do, you, do you own pants? I mean, is that a thing out there? So, when I decided to come to school in Connecticut, the first thing I did was went out and bought some pants. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I like I had some sweatpants because um, the winter practices at night. Um, yeah. In California, like it never snows, so you just you can practice at like eight o'clock at night, and it's right. still like forties, fifties, but right. you can still do it. So I had some sweatpants, but like nicer pants, jeans. I was like, I need those. <laughs> so uh, let me run through the shot sheet of just a couple of things you've done here at Quinnipiac. Uh, three-time NIRA All-American selection, so that's an unbelievable resume right off the bat. Uh, Quinnipiac's Offensive Player of the Year during your sophomore year. Uh, you ranked second, first, and fourth, respectively, in tries during your first three seasons. That's incredible. That's uh, unbelievable start to your career so far and continuing to lead the team in tries. Um, but I want to start a little bit before. So you're you're in high school. You played rugby in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe you were also a uh, national champion in high school? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So came in with a pedigree <laughs> of winning right off the bat. Um, so, I mean, you're out there in Dublin, California, and somehow you end up across the country in Hammond. So take me through the, the process and how you ended up here out of all places. Um, so about oof, my sophomore year of high school, yeah. um, I was just kind of, I mean, I'd been in sports all my life, but I had never really heard of rugby. And my dad and I kind of, I mean, I knew I wanted to be an athlete in college, and I was like, I don't know if I can do it in the sports that I'm currently playing. So my dad and I kind of just searched around, and he found a rowing camp, and he found a rugby camp. Okay. Wait, what were you playing before that? Um, Soccer, softball, uh, and track and field. Okay. All right. Pretty pretty standard high school, school (laughs) younger younger slate. Okay. Yeah. So um, I went to both the camps, and the rugby camp happened to be over Thanksgiving break, and I tried it, like learned all the skills, and I just loved it like it was something that i really enjoyed and the team was so nice so like oh let me teach you this that because like that when you start in high school you find out that they really just need players and people to sign up and join because it's an emerging sport even at the high school level um ncaa level it's just kind of emerging and becoming a new popular sport in the united states so they really just needed players and people to pick it up and love it so like any help anything that they could give you to help you learn and stay on the team they were willing to give and I just love the environment the coaches were all great the players who were returners were all great and I was like wow this is something I really want to be a part of um and so I started my sophomore year of high school and then my junior year of high school because my whole first year playing in high school I was their secret weapon as they called it because okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I was already pretty athletic and I had speed and power which is something that was the rare combination in a high school sport like rugby like you're either the power slow moving forward kind of player or you're like a skinny fast soccer player but I was just the crossover between the two yeah so that really helped me in my first year um and then it just kind of went on from there and then my junior year um we were we had a lot of seniors who were the people who introduced me who are now seniors and I was a junior and we had like a strong core group of players so we made it to nationals um, and I think the big controversy there was that there's a Division One Nationals in Division Two, okay. and they put us in Division Two, and we were like, 
It's, it's kind of, is it a luck of the draw kind of thing? Not really. They look at your records, but the problem is we only play teams from California and the other teams only play teams from like the East Coast or like whatever. And then you all come together and they're like, well, we think this team would win because we think they're better. Like it's kind of luck of the draw, kind of like. It's a judgment call? It's a judgment call really? for the most part. Yeah. Okay. And the East Coast and Midwest teams up to that point had thought that they, because they were the historically established teams whereas california was a newer sport yeah so they were the historically established teams. so they're like oh well we'll start you in division two because it's your first year um and we beat out all the teams i think our ending after all like three or four games at that weekend we ended like 190 to three <laughs> so like we scored 190 points and we only had three points scored against us wow and we're like can you put us in division one now like this yeah. is a joke <laughs> so, wow that I that I mean that makes no sense to me as as an outsider. I mean, obviously, you know, there are selection committees and yeah. things like that, but I mean, you got to look down the roster. I mean, and, and you're a junior on this team with yeah. seniors that have taught you how to play. So, right. I mean, that's that's got to be a pretty strong squad coming into that tournament. Yeah. But I mean, you know, hopefully you can you can see a little bit of change to that system. But so, okay, you get through, you win the you win the national title in Division 2. Definitely should have been in Division 1. Yeah. <laughs> So at, at what point did you start hearing from, from colleges and from Quinnipiac? So uh, my first year, actually, when I was a sophomore, Bowdoin College reached out to my coach because uh, a lot of the college coaches now, they have to find like specific high school coaches that they always reach out and like, hey, do you have any players for me or any players who might be interested in my program? Because right. especially for like the faraway California, Utah, Oregon schools, because um, it's such a far trip and like my dad and I, when we were looking, we we're like, okay, let's just look up the top rugby schools and we'll just send out an email to all of those coaches. And that's really how I got introduced to um, Quinnipiac is I was just looking at the top rugby schools. And um, the first, like one of the couple ones, like didn't have my major that I was interested in. And then there was one that was um, Central Washington, which um, they weren't like the most academically promising school. And then the other three were like Ivy League schools. And so I was like looking at all these, I was like, well, Quinnipiac really looks like the best fit for me. So that was the one that I really pursued um, in the beginning. And then we, like my head coach on my high school team established a head coach or a connection with the head coach here. Um, and then they had a couple of phone calls and then um, I could send her like tournament dates. Like, here's when we were playing, like if you want to come out okay, um, and that kind of thing. And I watch um, our coach is really good about like publicizing like they had a lot of promotional videos and like cool things that you could see like what their program does in a practice and stuff so like even before I came out here I had an idea of what the program was like um and then when I came on my official recruiting visit I was like yeah this is definitely what I want to be doing like this is right up my alley so so when you came out for your recruiting visit and you saw you saw Quinnipiac what hit you about the program what was different about either the way you know Becky Carlson was running her team or, or just what what jumped out to you and, and said yes this is a part of a squad that I want to be on um, I think it was the like the seriousness and like the competitiveness of the program. Like the day I came, it was uh, I think it was like an admitted students' day or something. So like all of the indoor buildings in the like were like booked for like oh like students and like the tables and stuff. Right. And they still had practice, and it was March and it was snowing, and so they practiced in the snow. And they're like everyone, no one complained. Everyone's like, yeah, we're doing it, we're hitting it hard. And I was like wow, like, they're so dedicated that they will practice in the snow just to show the recruits, like, this is what our program is. And I was like, that's something that I just have to be a part of. That's, uh, yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll show you the dedication. <laughs> I mean, you, you know you're here for one day, so, yeah, we're, they, now they didn't even try to probably plow, plow off the field, just go right no, through. No, they just went right through, yeah. yeah. So what, what makes rugby such a different sport? I mean, it obviously captivated you to the point where you were, you were willing to kind of drop some of the sports you were playing in high school, but w what about rugby was it that just, that caught you? Um, it's, and why? And also, why should why should American fans continue to build build the support behind rugby? I think it's one of the few team sports that's like a full team sport. Like every single player, um, regardless of whether they think so or not, is involved in every play. Whether you're the one securing the ball, passing the ball, or just calling for it, running a fake line to um, confuse the defense. Like every player is involved, and you can't play or win a game if one of those players isn't playing to their full potential and that was something that I just really love because you just there's this sense of camaraderie that you don't get in many other sports like in other sports you can have individual stars that can kind of be the star of the show and it's acceptable and it helps you win but like in rugby 
having that individual star helps, but it's really the supporting players that help you get to that point. Like if you don't get a good pass from your teammate, there's no way that you can run and score. So for for the people who are listening at home who don't know rugby quite as well, you are an outside center. So if right. they're wa- if you're watching watching rugby, what are you doing on the field as an outside center? Um, so position wise, rugby split um, half and half. So half our forwards, half our backs, and the forwards stereotypically I'll say are the taller, bigger, sometimes slower players that have more powerful running styles and not evasive running styles I'll say whereas the backs are like the fast skinny like you like track stars that are somewhat powerful but they're the ones who have the evasive running and they're the ones stepping people um they're like the wide receivers of football basically okay all right cool um so they're the ones that get the passes and they're the ones running and trying to create space and um take the gaps and stuff whereas like the forwards are more like the fullback or like the running back or like they're like the powerful linemen basically so as an outside center I'm the one that's kind of I'm looking up at the defense and I'm seeing the holes and seeing the space and trying to get like play calls off and like this is what we should we should be doing uh I also like the um they have open play kicking so like I'll field kicks I'll give kicks back um defensively I'm matching their outside center so like like um (laughs) forgetting the name of the position of football, but the one that matches the uh, wide receiver, I'd be the one kind of to like match a, them. A cornerback yeah, a cornerback, kind of that's yeah. it, yeah. yeah. So I'm matching the receivers, and I'm trying to make sure they don't get through like our defensive wall that we build. Okay. So um, it's not an as, like, it's a very detail-intensive position and not as much of, like, a just rote conditioning um, type position, which is more of the forwards. It's just conditioning level, and they don't have to match up specifically on their like number they're just building a line any forward that comes at them they're tackling whereas i'm tackling usually just the outside center sometimes a wing sometimes a fullback but people in my general position so there's a lot there's a lot more thinking involved in, in what you have to do yeah so so what kind of i mean you, you said you're, you're calling plays now as well yeah. so you're you're also kind of a quarter a quarterback if you're yeah. relating it to football in a right. sense so so what kind of what kind of call or what's an example of a call that you could that you would play i mean just in any given situation um so we have this is very broad i know yeah, yeah. so we have like just some basic plays that you can call like if i'll communicate it to my inside center um, because we work directly with each other. Like if we're seeing gaps, certain gaps in the defense, we can run what's called a switch, uh, which is basically where the ball carrier takes it straight up and then they take a hard line out towards the sideline. And then the, it, the outside player will run up at the same time they're running up, but then they'll cut in and they'll receive the ball back on the inside. And the intent is to like get the defense so fixated on the player that's supposedly trying to run around the wall that they forget about the player that can cut back inside and that leaves a hole. Okay. So if we notice that they like to like track out on defense and move out too early that's a play we'll call um there's also like looping plays where like if the inside center passes it to me i'll catch it and she'll run around my outside and i'll give it to her back on my outside um if we notice the defense is bunched up on the inside and we just need to get the ball wide but like still pin defenders inside um it's just kind of what you see in the defense and just being creative and playing off of each other to exploit the holes that they're leaving and you're um you're you're scouting these teams during the course of the week do you do you have you have videos video sessions and things that you're able to see which plays may work better sometimes we do um depending on whether or not we have the video available from other teams giving it to us okay. but so there's um, sometimes where you're just kind of reading it as you go yeah there's sometimes where it's like your first half you're kind of just reading it you're like oh what are we seeing what are we not um like any stoppage in play like when the ball was out of bounds you have a quick second to be like hey like i'm seeing this i think this will work um, and you just kind of try it out. And, like, there's no wrong play if you do it 100%. So it's just kind of hitting it hard and just trusting that what you saw the first time is going to be there the second time. Okay. Wow. So there you go. So we, we now we now know more about some some plays. So keep an eye out for, for specific plays that we're, that we're seeing from the Quinnipiac rugby team. So um, so you have, you, you're obviously from Dublin, California, but you have players that are from different countries around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, rugby traditionally probably more of a popular sport in different areas around the world so have you have you been able or have you had the chance to travel to different countries and see the game and do you see uh you know a difference in a play style from somebody who may not be from america but is still play rugby um i have not had the chance to travel but um this summer actually in san francisco was the big rugby world cup which is when teams all the international teams come they play in a tournament uh for the weekend okay so there's teams from like australia new zealand fiji samoa like all of these teams they came and played and it was like a three-day tournament 
um, and my dad uh, got tickets to see every single day, and so we went and watched. And it's there is like differences based on like what where the skills in the team lie. Like if the team is like a strong, tall, powerful team, they'll be more carried into contact, look for the offload, whereas the fast speed teams look to just move it and stay out of contact. So that's more like a Australia's game plan is like they'll usually stay out of contact, whereas Fiji's like, oh, we're tall, we're strong, we're just gonna run it at you and create holes and do like they have like weird miraculous offloads that just somehow work and you're like well, i don't even know how you did that like they're so skilled but like also powerful whereas like australia and new zealand are more like grace and speed and like fancy footwork and committing defenders and um it's just so cool to watch like how because like I th rugby started in like england new zealand and australia just to see how far along their game is and compared to like when you watch the u.s teams play like you can see them trying to implement some of the things but they haven't quite found their identity as a team yet so it's really cool to see the teams that have really figured it out have you seen um has us has us rugby i mean even even nationwide because you've been you've been in school now this is your fourth year mm -hmm. have you seen the sport start to grow internally in america oh most definitely like yeah. they this past summer too they just re-upgraded their whole age grade um pathway through the program from being a high school athlete to being the usa eagle like here are the steps that you go through like you're going through high school Americans and then junior all Americans and then collegiate all Americans and then senior side teams. Um, and the sport itself is just like expanding so rapidly. Like they had to put the pathway into place just to like be like, here's what you're aiming for. Here's how you get to the senior woman's side because the popularity of the game is increasing and they're having a hard time feeling all of the players and like scouting and finding people. So they're really working on that. And I think it's really cool to see how fast the sport's exploding and like the number of players right now, even in college and high school that are starting to go abroad to like China or to Australia, New Zealand and just pick up the sport there. I think it's really cool. So do you see yourself continuing in rugby after school? I mean, obviously there, it's a good problem to have right now with, yeah. with a number of, of, of players starting to get into the sport, but do you see a future in rugby or do you see yourself going somewhere else? Um, I will probably take an off year next year because I'm in a grad program and it's going to be pretty intense. But after that, I'm really going to reevaluate. And with rugby, it's a lot of how does my body feel and am I like, am I, have I had too many injuries where it's just like time to stop or am I still feeling good? Like if you've had multiple concussions, probably not the best decision, but like if you're still good, you haven't had many or you've had one, you're like, okay, I can still do this. If I'm still feeling like it's something that I want to pursue and that I have like the avenues, opportunities to pursue like our coaches um, some of our alumni have connections in local East Coast teams, um, and if I want to like reach out to them, and be like, "Hey, can I just play with your team for a year and see where it goes?" That's probably something that I will end up doing. Okay, so we'll have to keep an eye out in a, in a couple of years because the the career may not be over. Okay, so uh, before we go, we have a couple of questions we ask this of all of our guests. Uh, these are more personal questions, and they really these are the ones that get your brain pumping. So, oh, good. Uh, first one: If you could live anywhere in the world besides lovely Hamden, Connecticut, where uh, would it be, and why? That's a good one. Yes, I think I would live um, in Washington. Okay, um, this is Washington State? Washington State, yes, okay. on the West Coast. Um, probably because uh, we've gone up there a couple of times for uh, games and stuff, and I just love, like, the the trees, the forest, the outdoors. Um, but, like, it's at the same point, it's not the California where it's summer all the time, and you're like, can I get weather, like, rain, anything? <laughs> like, I just want weather. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Washington has a lot of weather. Um, and then I have a couple good um, teammates who have graduated who live in Washington, um, and they always talk about how beautiful it is, how many mountains there are to hike. Um, and it just seems like a place that I'd really enjoy living. I Very think. peaceful. Getting yeah. ra rain every once in a while. Yeah, which, which outdoors. Is like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe pants every once in a while. Y you know, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, second one. Um, if you could have dinner with any human being, whether it be alive or deceased, again, who would it be and why? Ooh. Um, I think it would be with... Probably Ruby Tui, I would say. Um, she's a member of the New Zealand's national team. Okay. And she is just one of the most tenacious and hardworking rugby players I've ever seen. And I would just like to learn more about her and like how she got to that point and what kind of work she puts in daily to be that kind of player because she's like a role model for me. I think she's great. Okay, so the, uh, the final question. Um, you are on death row. It is your last meal. Dinner, drink, and dessert. Okay. 
can go Ooh. anywhere with this. A hometown yeah. thing, something from the calf, you never know. <laughs> um, wow. Um, I'll start with dessert because that's usually the easiest for me. Right. Um, I'm a big lover of ice cream, so anything, any kind of chocolate or peanut butter or mint kind of ice cream, that's for me. All right, that's a hot start. That's yeah, good. that's <laughs> that's where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, for a drink, oof, I'd probably just do water. Sometimes water just sounds really good. So. Oh, yeah, nice cold glass after oh, a long day. Yeah, yeah ice cold water, that's yeah. probably where I'd end up. Um, and for dinner, I'd probably do, like, some kind of grilled chicken with uh, sweet potatoes. I love sweet potatoes and, like, broccoli. love broccoli, too. So as long as I had a lot of butter on it, we're good. <laughs> That's the that's the key. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, uh, and best of luck with everything for the rest of the year. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, thanks so much uh, to Emily Roscoff for joining us here in episode number three. That's pretty much it for us. That's going to do it for our episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new one. Uh, make sure you follow Quinnipiac Athletics on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere to keep up with everything that's going on in the athletic department. Go online to QuinnipiacBobcats.com. You can find this podcast, a bunch of great written articles, all the stats and info you may need about Quinnipiac Athletics. Broch, where can we find you? Um, Tyler underscore Broch. That should be a fun week. We got tons of stuff coming out. Bobcats Weekly, I'm hosting. Ooh. I think it'll be dropping the same day this podcast drops, so go check that out. A lot of content. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> then um, we'll have another one Friday previewing the another crazy slate of October games. It's the best time of the year. It feels like everybody's playing either in the MAC or, you know, if you're the hockey program, you're starting up your season now for real, and it's the best time of the year. You know, you always think April is the best time of the year for professional sports. I think college athletics, you see it a lot in the end of March, the beginning of March and end of February, and this time of year right now, the crossover, it gets you really excited. Really busy, but really exciting. The end of the fall and the beginning of the winter for Quinnipiac Athletics is coming. So yes, make sure when you're done listening to us, you go on to Instagram and watch Bobcats Weekly. You can now see Broch's face after listening to his voice for an hour. It's Unfortunately. <laughs> nah, can't have anything better than that on a Wednesday. So yes, you can find me everywhere at Dan Ball. B-A-H-L. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. The theme song of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast is Wire and Flashing Lights by Professor Click.